0: the lesson that's come from this imposter syndrome thing was when i was uh, when i was younger uh, you know pre 18 and around about that 18 mark i used to um sometimes be paralyzed with the fear of someone catching me and i think in the in the later stage of uh, of of my my development i learned to convert that to fuel and I would say, if I if I could convert that to fuel earlier in my life, I could have avoided, uh, you know, a lot of the stress, a lot of the drama, a lot of the anxiety. I would love to have known that when I was younger.
1: Alright, today's guest is a world leader in the food and nutrition industry. He's the founder and CEO of the Food Innovation Lab, CHU, and the sports fueling company called Fast Food. He's an accomplished Ironman triathlete and a world-renowned progressive chef. He understands the frustrations of inadequate fueling products and has assembled his own expert team to develop fast food, which is a high-performance fuel made from 100% real food. With Chu, his other company, he's partnered with Global Food and Beverage Manufacturers to create over 4,000 products. This is a fascinating story, and I'm looking forward to diving in more. It's an honor and privilege to welcome a man with just such a remarkable journey to the One Moment Longer podcast, Adam Malonis. How
0: are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Hearing hearing a remarkable background from somebody like you is uh, is no doubt humbling, and I think... uh, very, uh,
1: very flattering. No, well, it was, uh, we got introduced not long ago and, and we, we, we spoke for a little bit and I was like, oh, what a, what a story, what a journey. And I was like, i got to get him on the show. So I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule of running multiple companies, family training for an iron man and you still find some time for me so i appreciate it buddy
0: yeah of course mate this, this these sorts of things are, are the most fun i get to do in my day <laughs>
1: we were just talking pre-show about you know organizations and people management and everything else and uh you know, I, I asked you, how, how's the, how's the start of your day been, being that it's one o'clock here on a, on a Thursday and you, you, you went into full steam ahead of just managing people, managing an organization, being an entrepreneur and everything that goes with it. Um, tell us, tell us about your day today already.
0: Yeah, mate. I mean, it's, uh, startups are like the wild west, right? It's, uh, I, I think I mentioned to you that, uh, if there's not like 15, 15 dramas before uh, midday, then it's a, uh, then it's a good day. And, uh, another one of my, my favorite analogies in this space is the uh, using the, the line from uh, Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke's uh, training day that lives in my mind all the time, which is, it, it's about managing the smiles and cries. You know, it's, uh, you'll never get a day where there's no cries, but the best, you know, the best you can do is, is hope that most days there's more smiles than cries. Um, and frankly, that's the that's the addictive nature of trying to do something <laughs> that, you know, in its current rendition hasn't been done before. Um, and that's that's the joy, right? It's the it's our our ability to you know blaze trails and, and somewhere try to conquer.
1: Were you up early this morning training? How are you fitting it all in?
0: Right, I think we're uh, we're, we're we're somewhere cut from the same cloth. I'm up at uh, four o'clock every day, as I know you are. Mm. I'm in uh, I'm doing uh, Ironman Texas next week, actually. Uh, so we're in this like semi taper week this week, and then we'll do a full blown taper next week. But uh, you know, did a just somewhat of a an easy hour on the bike at the 250 watts, and then a race pace run off the bike, but. Much easier compared to normal, but uh, yeah, training training before the kids get
1: up. Yeah, I, I'm impressed with you, buddy. I I know that you train about 20 to 25 hours a week. You you have these two companies. You, you're a father of how many kids?
0: A uh, father of three little kids, all uh, so nine, uh, nine, seven, and three years old.
1: Uh, honestly, I could spend most of this episode just talking about how you manage the time management of all of that. Like to your point, you get up at four, you get your training going. Even though you're in tapering, it's still a solid... Couple of hours of training in the morning, Nate, Time management. Your missus must be incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of people ask the question. If uh, and so, first of all, she's she's an Aussie, so she's uh, you know she's as you know from uh, Aussie wives, the no bullshit approach. But you know, look, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, right? I, I say that um, you know, busy is a state of mind that I think most people, if they really take a good hard look at what they can potentially do in the course of a day. They underestimate how much they can get done, and, and you know, I, I think, frankly, one of the things—and I, I shouldn't say this—it's going to make me sound uh, like a bad guy—but you know, I love I love when people, um, you know, different uh, team members that we have on board, when they'll come to me and say, "Well, you know, I <laughs> I just don't have the time, or I can't find the time, or I've got no, you know, this this notion of work life balance," and I'll, you know, I shouldn't probably arc up, but I, I'll always say, like, "Like, how many kids have you got? Uh, zero. Okay. How many companies have you got? Uh, zero. And then, then, you're like, well, what are you doing with the rest of your day? Like you've got a you know half of a lifetime before your you know your your workday starts, and another half of a lifetime you know at the end of the day. And you know it's just about you know, trying to maximize each and every one of those uh, potential opportunities to create impact for your own life or somebody else.
1: Oh, yeah, it's so true, isn't it? I mean, do you go through phases though sometimes where you you're really on it? you know, and you, you clockwork 4 AMs, so you, You're kicking along, you know, even work is great, your relationships are great. Do you ever find that you sort of go, oh, you know, life's a bit challenging, life's a bit tough? And, and, and I guess in those times, how do you get yourself back out of them and get back on track?
0: I would call those times uh, I would say maybe between the hours of like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> I, I'll tell you the truth, Rick. You know, I recall the time that I had a time getting out of bed. I can't recall the time where I've, uh, you know, not wanted to leave the house to, to, you know, come into the company. I think if any of those two things are happening, I think it begs the question... That you frankly should be questioning why or what you're doing. Mm. You know, that's that's the same for a lot of people training. Sadly, a lot of people train to race. You know, and I'm I'm just new in this sport, right? So if I've come into this with uh, what I like to call baby eyes, but you talk to a lot of people and they, you know, they're just like slogging the training out to somehow get to uh, this mythical race, and all of a sudden, this uh, less than one percent of your time, which is spent racing, versus the ninety nine percent in training. Is somehow worth the 99% mm. and that's where you know people are doing the wrong thing in their training and if, if that's I, I genuinely look forward to the training I find that the frankly the best part and exactly the same with you know what what's nothing for a career if you're gonna spend that much time doing thing I'm surrounded by those people you'd want to make sure those people become an extension of your family and the thing becomes you see the world and how you get to impact it so doing every second or every minute but at the same time, you know, I do it all, I try to do it all purposefully. Um, and if I'm, you know, if I'm with my kids, I'm dedicated to being with my kids. And in that moment, if I'm working, then I'm dedicated to that. And if I'm training, I'm, I'm in that 100%.
1: Well said. I love that, mate. It's, it's, it's being present with what you have in front of you and embracing what you have. I, am, I really love that. But where are you at the moment? Where are you calling me from with a strong Aussie accent? Where are you?
0: <laughs> mate, I'm holding on to the Aussie accent for dear life. I'm presently. I'm, I've been living in Boston now for the last. Uh, it's, I think. I, I think it's going on about uh, twelve, thirteen years. Um, but yeah, desperately trying to hold on to that Aussie accent.
1: You haven't lost it at all, mate. And and I'll have to catch up with you when I'm up in Boston next, because you know that's where our company is. Any questions based up there? And I know that's where you have fast food and, and chewer based out there. So we'll have to make sure we catch up next time I'm up there. But mate, let's do this. I'm fascinated by your journey because from what I believe Canberra to, via Europe and the Middle East to, fi- to finally be in Boston. Tell us about, let's recap this journey of yours. And, and it, it seems to me there's a lot around the food industry and nutrition. When did the, all, all of that passion start for you?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I always say there's two different ways to answer that, right? There's the uh, stereotypical way that I think most chefs like to answer that question, which is, you know, I sat in my uh, grandmother's kitchen uh, licking the spoon, and all of a sudden, I, I, I developed my love and passion for food. I always say, you know, if that if that was the case, then uh, we would all be chefs. It doesn't necessarily catalyze itself into a into a career. Uh, mine was probably less less than romantic. Uh, uh, you know, when my mother was alive, she used to uh, she used to hate me telling this story. And in fact, uh, I can tell you, uh, she learned of this story for the very first time when I was in one of the I think it was one of the newspapers. And she told all of her friends that, oh, you've got to go out and you've got to get this newspaper because, you know, Adam's in it with his story. And she didn't realize the punchline of the story was how I, uh, how I got into the, uh, into the kitchen. So basically, it was, it was out of necessity. You know, my parents, my parents always uh, had their own business from home. And, you know, food was always very kind of functional and not necessarily just functional. It was just really filling a gap. Right, it was uh, always an afterthought. They were always so busy, you know. Frankly, I'll I'll be honest with you. I thought food was something to be feared until I um, started trying to figure it out myself. And I'll I'll tell you, you know, Greg, obviously, as you're you're an Aussie as well, something shameful was. uh, I was watching TV one day and I saw these uh, these people eating steak on the TV, and frankly, they were making sounds. It actually looked delicious, right? It looked like they were enjoying it. I was like, something's wrong here, because the steak that we get. It was like you know. Frankly, I, I would tell you that uh, shoe leather was probably more tender. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and it was like I, I don't really get it. So I said, I said to my mother at the time, I said, you know, can we? You know, I started reading these like back in the day, the Woman's Weekly uh, cookbooks, yeah. and I said, uh, like, let me let me have a go at this. And I think I was about nine years old. And uh, same age as my oldest son, which I could never imagine him in the kitchen uh, cooking dinner for the family yet. But, you know, in the (laughs) beginning, I always say that, you know, probably started out by being bad, uh, mostly bad. And then, uh, you know, started getting a little, maybe a little more uh, edible. And then started, you know, I started starting to try to, you know, paint outside the lines and not just follow the recipe. Started, you know, changing Mm -hmm. some things up, Mm -hmm. which then led me to leave school very early at uh, uh, like 15 years old. And then became an apprentice chef in the Hyde Hotel uh, within Canberra, then qualified as an apprentice when I was 17. At about 18 years old, uh, going on 19, I left Australia for London, ended up at 19 years old, uh, becoming chef partner of a fine dining restaurant in Notting Hill. Um, uh, let's just say I, uh, I stretched some of the truths uh, of my age and my experience to, to get the role, <laughs> worked my way into the role, baptism by fire. Uh, got headhunted to go to Dubai. Uh, took over a restaurant in Dubai. Um, then went to Shanghai in, in uh, China for a period of time. We created the number one restaurant in Asia. Then went back to Dubai. Uh, that was the second step. We don't need to talk about. That was a bit of a bit of a misstep. Then ended up uh, going to Spain. Spent about seven years in Madrid. I was working. Um, uh, in the what's called the El Bulli uh, group, so El Bulli was the number one restaurant in the world for about eight years. I was running one of the uh, one of the one of the innovation labs, the one based out of Madrid, just creating new technologies, new products, new dishes, uh, thirty-two course tasting menus. Effectively, the most incredible role of just simply using food to tell a story. Then after that, started my uh, ended up in the, the 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 big wide world of uh, consumer packaged goods here in the US and uh, kind of the rest is history.
1: My goodness, I mean. <laughs> You just nailed that in like about a five minute span, and I think it was brilliant. But it's, it's like, you know, you, you've captured about twenty years of of learnings and and being in. Was all of it fine dining? Was that always kind of your area and the storytelling, like you said, um, using food to tell a story?
0: Yeah, mate. Yeah, and I think it was. So it was a, a type of uh, hate, I hate the label, but it was a type of food that a lot of people call molecular gastronomy. Um, so effectively, it's just the creation of a, a, a process, a technique. Um, and then use uh, those techniques. Not, not. Uh, I, I, I try not to speak with too much disdain, but um, not like most of the chefs these days try to show a magic trick to to consume uh, to diners, which is not the objective. It's not the look what I can do. It's more let me let me give you a, a bit of a snapshot into what's in my you know my heart and my head. So it was really really all about that. Um, but then you know I think more to your point, you know when you when you got on that like fine dining route, I, I guess that was where. I woke up one day and I was living in Spain and I woke up and realized I was in the business of expensive food for rich people, which was, you know, from, from an ego standpoint, it was amazing. It was all about what's mine, what I created, what I did, you know, me, 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 me. And then I realized that um, that was wildly unscalable. I was not making impact in the wider world beyond just a you know, momentary superficial, you know, best meal of my life, best dish of my life, whatever. I mean, those things are awesome for a period of time, but they don't really go after some of those, you know, harder hitting issues. And remember, you know, when I was a, you know, I was the kid where I'd watch, I couldn't watch too many of these like deforestation things and documentaries on the TV because some nights I'd end up, you know, as a little kid, I'd be in tears thinking that the whole world was getting cut down and burnt down. Um, So I've always had this like yearning to try to hopefully try to make impact on really big uh, topics and issues. And I didn't really see the restaurant uh, uh, scene as something that I was able to make scalable impact. So I, I, that's how I started to work my way into CPG.
1: That's amazing. And and I do know um, you have made a tremendous impact with, with Chew and a lot of the food innovations, you know, child obesity and malnutrition and, and, you know, even severe food allergies and things like that. You, you know, that's been, when I mentioned, you know, you've had 4,000 different sort of products that you've produced. Are they, is that all on that kind of path?
0: Yeah, mate, yeah. So, you know, we don't take projects unless we believe we can make a, uh, uh, an outsized impact in those categories. So not only uh, like the absence of negatives, right? So it's not only the reduction of, or the removal, sorry, of, of everything artificial, mm. it's the reduction of sugar it's not only just that, it's about how many you know, positive nutrients can we add to those products mm-hmm. and produce those at a massive scale. But on the side of that, an area that I'm strangely uh, kind of drawn to and I, I, I find it so fascinating is, is it within, within food systems and policy. Um, so we've, you know, we've had the great privilege of being able to uh, advise and um, have really phenomenal conversations with different uh, governments and world leaders to help advise on what they should be doing to transform their food systems and, you know, obesity, diabetes, all other chronic illnesses, as well as like NGOs and charities and all those sorts of things as well to see, you know, not only how do we um, feed people with calories, but how do we then start to reverse things like we've had some mm-hmm. blockbuster projects with things like, you know, these issues that I never knew anything about, which is like stunting and wasting amongst children in India. Uh, when I would say one of our greatest impact successes has been really targeting directly um, the really terrible horrific situation of stunting or wasting amongst children. so those are the ones frankly that I'm somewhere most proud of yeah. um, the other ones are you know delicious they're great experiences and things like that but the ones where we can really yeah. go after these mm. pervasive issues uh, are the ones that we uh, that definitely inspire us the most.
1: I love that. You know, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I kind of brought you on the show thinking we'll be talking a lot about fueling for athletes and it almost feels, <laughs> you know, when you think of it like that and, and then you think about the other end of the spectrum of, of what you just spoke about and you almost feel like, huh, <laughs> maybe I should have rethought really yeah. how we approach this episode because yeah. it's, it, it really puts everything in, in perspective, doesn't it?
0: But is that? But, but I, I would say it's almost one in the same right? If you think about it, but it's just different scales, right? Different scales and, and, and different gravities, right? The gravity of um, not getting nutrition right if you are starving to death is far... The, the impacts of that have um, far deeper consequences than uh, not fueling a, an Ironman correctly. Mm. Uh, at the time, it probably feels the same. Um, but the, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, it all boils down to the same thing, Greg. You know, I think... If we look at so many other technologies and we think about the, 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 the progression in so many other industries, the, the more people that I speak to, we've had the privilege and, and, and the real blessing to, to, to be able to interact with you know, world champions and um, some of the top elite pros mm. across such a multitude of different sports, Olympic gold medalists, et cetera. And I guess the, the consistent theme is that you know, we speak with highly intelligent people I'll, I'll tell you, there's just such a confusion as to what people should be, how people should be fueling. Mm. You know, even in, in the regular part of their life. Uh, you know, the the sport part is the acute end of it, but the 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 chronic part of how you know what's good for me and what's not. If you look at the cyclical nature of you know uh, food and eating, it kind of follows some similar curves to like fashion, right? What's mm. in and what's out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, if you look at that and the and the problems that that's fueling across such a wide cross section of, uh, you know, education, intelligence, background, ethnicity, race, etc. I would I would argue there's not many people who feel like they're really crushing it on the uh, like I'm feeding and fueling myself correctly again, whether it's in sport or outside of sport. And I think it's I think it's become a a, a big problem, and I think that problem is only being exaggerated even more now. I don't, I don't want to say a cliche, right, but I did this little uh, this little TED Talk thing a couple of years ago about really our our, our misunderstanding of uh, experts. Mm. We we seem to have confused. And again, I, I we can get we can get on the rabbit hole of like the, the 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 YouTuber and the influencer, the micro influencer, the blogger, the this and the that, who have frankly no qualifications to say anything. Mm-hmm. It only goes to fuel this. This uh, you know, I'm, I'm always filled with these uh, colourful analogies, but it's it, it's this notion of the self licking ice cream cone, right? You end up in these situations where someone says something frankly audacious, mm. and then all of a sudden, or frankly, it doesn't even need to be audacious, but it could be just. You know, we we used we started calling these things um, fake news or alternative facts. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, someone else repeats it. Another person repeats it. And then all of a sudden, it gets back to the person who originally said it. Now, all of a sudden, they're using it as a justification. Look, people are saying, well, yeah, people are saying because you said it. And they repeated it and then you heard it back again, right? That's not confirmation that something's fact. And this becomes the problem, right? Mm. Because you go onto any of these blogs and people are touting, frankly, some of the worst pseudoscience you've ever seen. And people are believing it. They're making choices in the, the, the rest of their life. And those, those choices have negative consequences.
1: Are there any that stand out to you that you want to share? We'd rather shy away from it.
0: <laughs> no, nah, look, mate. I, I mean, look, uh, how, how long you got, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's the generalizations are crazy. This is bad for you. This is good for you. Yeah, right. The problem is, you know, it's all it's a lot of, you know, poison is typically defined by dosage. The, even my, my son asked me the other day, he said, you know, what is, um, what's poisonous? And I said everything, and he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "With in the right doses or the wrong doses, everything can be poisoned." I love that. That's so right. That's brilliant. I, I guess right because you can you can get water poisoning, right? You yeah. have too much of that. You flush out your system. You're yeah. in you're in a major problem. The problem is, is that we live in this like soundbite era uh, because mm. it's all about clicks and it's all about views and it's all about sensationalism. But the problem is, everyone is so hyped up on the headline of a story. The headline is sensationalized to get you to hypothetically read the story, but no one's bothering to read the story because they're consuming so much quote-unquote information. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that everyone's getting the sensational version of whatever someone's trying to say, and they're just simply repeating it. I would tell you generalizations are the most dangerous thing, I think, within our like informational community now. The generalizations are missing out on the finer details, which is about dosage, which is about... Frequency of consumption. It's about, so what I generally tell, tend to tell people, it's about forget about the micro these days, think about the macro, right? We've got this really unhealthy relationship with food where we use food to reward or punish ourselves. We don't think about, I hate the word diet, but if you think about diet in terms of what people eat over the course of a day, we don't think of diet in terms of the entirety of the day. We think about it in terms of mouthful. If I have a piece of chocolate, then all of a sudden I'm doing the wrong thing. Or, but, but people should think about it. Okay, what's one one mouthful of chocolate over the course of a day? If you balance your vegetables and your you know all of the other things, then it's then it's okay. So generalizations, I guess, is the short way of saying, uh, answering a question.
1: You've touched on a topic that, you know, the reason our mutual friend, Ed Baker, and I really started any question was we wanted to make sure that it was a place where people could come and know exactly where their information's coming from, know the the source they're getting with the credentials behind them, um, and whether we have a functional medicine doctor or a Western or Eastern medicine or whatever you're into, it's all categorized and you can get your information as you want, but at least you know the person you are getting it from and the credentials that they have, you know, and then you can balance it up yourself between going between the different type of health spaces. But I also, it's funny, you've been talking about this and most recently, you know, I've had... A talk about high carbohydrate diets for for athletes. And I've had mm-hmm. other, you know, sports physiologists talk about the low carb, you know, high fat diets. And, and it's, I feel like it's refreshing to hear somebody say, look, anything done in extremes is probably poison. So moderation, it's like, we've almost forgotten that word moderation in everything, yep. right? It's like, if we yep. can just moderate, nothing is terrible if you don't overdo it. Little bits are okay. It's when we do the extreme of anything, and we're we're into extremes now. Like you said, it's sound bites. It's quick. It's fast. We want more of. If, if it feels good, let's have loads of it. And it's like no, 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 yeah, no. no.
0: Yeah, moderation <laughs> moderation doesn't sell. No, right? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like the quick yeah. fix, right? Yeah. I, I I shouldn't say it on something like this because it's uh, it, it it takes my secret and puts it out in the public domain. But um, you know, I've got frankly, I've got this sick fascination with this. Uh, and, and try not to judge me for this one, but I've got this sick fascination for this show on uh, TLC. It's called uh, My 600 Pound Life. And it's, uh, it's my, you know, somewhere my uh, television version of junk food. But um, it's, it, it, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey into psychology, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, these people have been told with the size that they are that they've got, you know, one to two years to live, if that, if they don't start making some real quick changes. And when you're staring death in the face like that, you would imagine that they're going to get moved to, frankly, make some pretty radical changes because that's pretty stark. And uh, still, the allure of this food that frankly makes them feel bad physiologically—the food makes them feel bad—but the the draw to them because from a metabolic standpoint and from a from an overall you know uh, a, a drive standpoint, this uh, overabundance of these uh, mac this macronutrition. Um, has driven them to the point that they've overruled how do I feel. And now it's just about, you know, satisfying that craving and that urge, mm. um, even even with face with death. So, again, moderation doesn't really sell and it's all about sensational.
1: It really is. You know, it's like uh, I was talking to my mom about this the other day a bit, you know, it's like living and how long we live and, and why, you know, why do we keep going, you know, we're getting a little bit deep here. But it was, and my mom said it great. She said, look, either you have purpose or you don't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I lost my, 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 dad a while ago. And at the end of the day, he'd raised three boys and that's all, he, that was his mission in life was to raise three boys. Yep. Once we were out of the house on our way, all married, off we go. His purpose to some degree, he didn't have a secondary backup purpose. It was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And any, he, and he faded fairly fast. And you could say, Oh, you know, it was the food that got him. It was this. And it's like, but, if we look at the overarching thing, can you find purpose for your life that goes beyond you even? Like, you know, I think to your point earlier, it's like when you were talking about being, you know, a fine chef and working with all the world's greatest and it was me, 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 me. Well, that won't sustain you. Are you doing something bigger than yourself? Is there something where Mm -hmm. you're feeling like you're living a life of purpose and living for others? And that's when the magic starts happening. It's amazing how things like depression and anxiety go down when you start to try and work for others and I, know, I know, yeah. feel, feel like that's a big thing that we're missing I'm interested to watch the show though the 600 pound what did you say 600 pound my 600
0: pound life my so you 600 get, pound believe life you, uh, yeah you, I, I, so I apologise in advance because it's something that just sucks you in and uh, you've got to see the ending
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear you're still being able to watch some TV shows in your life and just kick, kick back <laughs> kick back I call it dumbing down my wife Laura and I you know we dumb down at the end of the evening for 45 minutes to an hour and it's just like our dumb down yep. time and it's like I just need to just switch off from worrying about the kids, worrying about work, worrying it's just like I just want to yep. dumb down for a second. Junk
0: food for the eyes.
1: Yeah. So, mate, tell me, I, I mentioned in the intro and I saw it on your bio, you know, it says you're a progressive Chef, or you were progressive? What does that actually mean for people that don't know?
0: Yeah, so long before uh, this uh, sensation, again, sensational terms, right, uh, uh, the media created this term called molecular gastronomy. Yeah. Um, so pro- we used to just call it progressive cuisine, right? There was a, a, a label a long time ago called Nouvelle Cuisine, uh, Avant-Garde, uh, uh, Progressive, Coffee in on the Web. There's been a lot of labels. And frankly, we used to it – was, it was almost absurd, right, that we used to – Uh, We used to almost change the name of the entire cuisine on a yearly or every other year basis because uh, all the bad chefs in the world used to catch up to uh, describing their bad food like uh, we used to as well. Uh, And therefore, we had to rename the entire cuisine to make sure that people didn't have a bad experience in a bad restaurant and have these preconceived notions about what they were or weren't going to have. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, progressive, molecular, avant-garde, that's all kind of the same thing.
1: And and a part of this, you know, getting to where you are now in Boston, you know, what have been some of the most amazing highs you've had to this point with both the chew and fast food, um, and all the, all your other workings, is it, what stands out to you in, in your life that you go, wow, that was some critical moments and I'm fortunate to have had them.
0: (laughs) Um, I, I, I guess it's it's hard to really identify, Greg. You know, I think you know it goes absolutely with saying family um, has most definitely been one of those, you know, I was, uh, let's say I was nomadic, uh, for most of my life. I used to think that that was the best life because I lived, um, you know, the life, I always say living, living everything within the chapters, living the best you can within each one of those chapters is important. So you don't need to go back and revisit a previous chapter. Mm. So, you know, I did that single Aussie chef living around the world in all these different countries. I did that. uh, Let's just say I did that one pretty well. And then, uh, you know, this chapter of my life right now, the, you know, frankly, how much uh, pride and joy I take as being a father and a husband. Uh, you know, COVID has been tragic for a lot of people, a lot of countries, a lot of businesses, et cetera. And I think business wise, it was uh, let's just say catastrophic. We went from growing so fantastically to literally being within a four-five week period of time, we were literally dead in the water without any any business, but just a ton of fixed costs and 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 yeah. two facilities and an army of people, um, and we literally went down to zero. Wow. Covid as it, it ultimately, although you know, I feel like I've still got some little PTSD from this whole thing, but. Uh, ultimately, has made us stronger as a business because it's made everything we do much more robust with purpose. And I would say that it's been a net, extraordinarily positive, um, for the family because it really centered, like it's a cliche, but it really centered me on what was absolutely critically important, which were my children and my wife. Mm. Previous to you know prior to COVID, I used to think you know quote unquote success was um, being like super busy traveling. You know, I was literally. Seventy-five percent of my life, I was on a plane. Some weeks, it was like uh, you know eight planes a week, uh, back to back. I would I would squeeze in about seven trips in two weeks, uh, all over the world. And I used to think that was kind of quote unquote successful. Now I'll tell you, since COVID, the bar on travel has gone up exponentially. If uh, you know those, uh, you know, the business has got to be fully baked. Uh, the opportunities have to be. Cr- Crystal clear in order to get me on a plane now for uh, for for business because you know I, I, what I would not sacrifice post COVID now is the is the, the, the connection with my, my my family.
1: Mate, that is so well said. Just a long quotable quote, and I love that because you're a man of my own heart. That's you know I think if COVID taught a lot of us anything, it was that kind of be grateful for what's right in front of you, be present with what you have. You know, it was it, it, it took a lot for, you know, that period of a year or two there, that it was like, we couldn't travel, we couldn't do the blah, 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 blah. So you're like, okay, well, what do I have right in front of me? And I, I remember literally yep. walking down the road one day because we weren't allowed to go anywhere, right? And it was like, I was allowed yep. to go outside and I was walking down the road with my wife, Laura. We had our daughter, Sydney, and, and my newborn son, Archer, and we were just walking down. Nowhere I could go. And I literally remember looking at the flowers, you know, that whole <laughs> smell the roses. Yep. Yep. It was like, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> so we, we stood there so as a family just with the flowers for 30 minutes. It's something that it was like there was something grounding about all of that experience that I think a yep. lot of us got something from and, and I love that. Well, let, let's fast forward a little bit. I, I want to chat to you about fast food and your experiences in the world of Ironman triathlon, which you found sort of in these last four or five years. Tell me, how did that sort of shape your philosophy around your vision for fast foods and 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 what you hope to develop there?
0: Yeah, mate. Look, uh, you know, I'm uh, as you mentioned, you know, I'm new. I'm new to this uh, this uh, this sport or this hobby, uh, for me at least. This was a COVID baby, right? This was. (laughs) I think I mentioned to you the other day that um, you know everyone had really everyone had a lot of choices during COVID, but I, I would say there were two real fundamental lifestyle choices. There was the drink more route. And there was the work out a bunch route. Um, <laughs> there you do choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean so I, 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 I said to my wife one day, like, I mean, frankly, we gave we gave the drink more route. We gave we gave that a, a, a good college try. Yeah. And we realized that at a certain point, like we were drinking, you know, a glass or a couple of glasses of red wine almost every night. And frankly it didn't feel good. Yeah, and so um, there was this uh, uh, this moment. I was like eight years old. I was watching the, I think it was a, uh, I think it was it was Kona. I was watching um, on the TV. I asked myself a, a you know very very basic question that a, a person that age would ask. I said, you know, did I ever think I'd be the? I think I used the word hard. Did I ever think I'd be hard enough to get one of those things done? Frankly, it was a it was an itch I'd never really scratched. And so over the years, you know, uh, like a like a walking cliche, I you know bought the books dabbled with the idea I'd been cycling, you know, up until COVID for about 20 years, uh, you know, just for fun, you know, call it like averaging like 200 miles a week ish, just for fun, never racing, never testing, just, you know, kicking around with, uh, with mates and groups in different countries, but never really testing myself. And, uh, you know, without going too deep down the rabbit hole, I got this, uh, like most people, this, uh, terrible case of, uh, uh imposter syndrome. And, you know, I always think someone's going to catch me doing something that I've got absolutely no place doing I loved the fact that I started to look at this whole triathlon world and I I said, huh, this world is based on numbers. It's data, it's power, it's speed, it's times, it's finish times, it's all that. And I said, I wonder if, like, I wonder if I'm actually going to feel content with um, feeling like the numbers that I get in this particular sport, if I give it my best, if I will actually feel like I deserve those numbers. So, whatever, uh, long story short, I uh, I went on to Ironmen.com. I found the farthest um, Iron Man in the future that I could find, which was Iron Man Cosumel, uh, which gave me eleven. I think it was about eleven months to uh, to, to to train for it. Called my mate, uh, so I signed up right then and there. Uh, called a mate of mine who's ex pro cyclist in uh, in Chicago, uh, Robbie Ventura, and I said to Robbie, I said, "I guess you know I'm going to jump into this thing. I guess I need a coach. Do you know any?" He said, "Yep, yeah, great, got the guy." I think it was by the a couple of days later, he was coaching me by. I think it was a couple of weeks later. I think I was already up to you know close to twenty hours a week of training. I've got this obviously uh, uh, very obsessive uh, uh, nature in my in, in my character. That kind of started the unraveling, right? The unraveling of what I thought I knew about uh, sports nutrition, what I thought the market was all about. Um, <laughs> I always I always say to people that you know I tried to uh, surprise surprise try to go against the groove. Um, thought that you know I was going to fuel entirely with fat. Um, so brought some, you know, nut butters on long rides, hundred mile rides. Uh, I'll tell you, after nearly choking to death and bonking hard, <laughs> uh, realised that was probably not the best route. So then started uh, buying the hopes and dreams of the market. Bought every, you know, case and caddy of every imaginable uh, uh, gel and gummy and flavour and this and that and. and put it in my pantry that my wife always refers to as where all good hopes and dreams go to die. Um, And then started unraveling. mate. It started like, I'll tell you, the first insight was when I turned the packet around and I started to read the ingredient label, as obviously a guy in food does. (laughs) I was pretty shocked. I was pretty shocked at the quantity of uh, 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 artificial ingredients. The types of ingredients used, the seemingly lack of science that was deployed in a lot of these different uh, uh, products and categories. So, basically, like everyone does, right, went back to my team of scientists and chefs and said selfishly, I don't want to fuel with these products myself because I don't want to have to be faced with the choice of pressing pause on my food standards in order to fuel myself, feel bad in the process. So I said, first and foremost, um, you know, I I want these uh, uh, to be the highest performance that we could possibly create. And I always say this is an important distinction because a lot of people say there's some natural products on market. Yes, they're sold as natural, they're sold as healthy, but they're not sold as high performance. So it has to be the highest performance possible. And um, by the way, it has to be made of all real food. Um, So that was the beginning. Uh, Like most of these stories, I always say that, um, you know, I thought – stupidly I thought this was going to take a year and frankly probably cost about a third of, a third of the amount of money that it's cost so far but I you know I, I said to the team it had to be about performance excellence at all costs and so that was two and a half years ago and we yeah we created this uh, range of products that basically eliminates this whole spiking and crashing cycle of, uh, of typically these sugar spikes and crashes so we've engineered in this type of uh, carbohydrate called galactose that we think is pretty phenomenal at uh, stabilizing blood sugar. So you get a high baseline of blood sugar, you stabilize it. So then you've got this really consistent power, speed, output. You don't finish the races like you're, uh, you're bonking about uh, you know, 10 kilometers before the finish line. Uh, you make it all the way to the line. You feel like you'd go farther, but you've, you've dug you know, deep into that well. And yeah, I mean, we're 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 super excited,
1: mate. Where were you? Where were you when I tried my couple of Iron Mans I did towards the end of my career? I could have, could have really done without the the massive sugar spikes that I had and the insulin lows that all went with it. But well, well congrats on all of it. Okay, I got a question for you. The name fast food. Um, you do realize that people <laughs> people think yeah. of fast food as not healthy, not real food. Uh, how did that name come about?
0: So I, I, am I'm, I'm all about brands, right? I, 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 love this whole branding process. I'm a, I call myself a file, right? So I'm all about the name and the name really is a setup to tell you exactly what you're about to, or should be expectations you should have. And so I was, you know, riffing and uh, really sketching out a bunch of things. And I, I, I landed on fast because I was looking at what the output of the thing that we want to create, what I wanted, right? Which is fast. And I thought about the rest of the, again, without uh, hopefully being too disparaging, I thought about the rest of the products, mostly, again, I sound arrogant to say this, but they're mostly slow. And I digress just for a second because I, I think one of the most important points that I came across or insights that I came across in the creation of this, uh, this uh, uh, venture has been when talking to people about what, what does a successful or an unsuccessful um, nutrition plan look like in racing and training, um, particularly in racing. Um, it was mostly categorized as a success via the absence of negatives, right? Mm-hmm. And I say that mm-hmm. because people basically think if they haven't either vomited or shit themselves in a race, then somehow it was a was a really great uh, fueling strategy. You know, I think I, I said there was something fundamentally wrong with that. So in thinking about food, I wanted there to be food credentials and I wanted there to be performance, right? So performance being... Um, Uh, identified as fast, and then food being the high bar, being the benchmark, right? So I said, well, fast food. And I said, well, you know, there's this whole entire sector of things that are called fast food, but in fact, that food, like, it's about speed of service, it's, it's actually, if, if it were defined as the characteristics of how you feel afterwards, it would be called slow food.
1: Well, it shouldn't be called food for the most part. I think it should be just called no, fast no stuff. No doubt.
0: <laughs> yeah, or slow, slow uh, experiments. Yeah. <laughs> when we push those two words together, we created ultimately a word that doesn't exist in the English language. So then we went through the whole trademarking process and frankly, we had to, um, I'll be honest with you, we've had to, we had to educate the, the trademark office evaluators to help them understand that it's it's ironic. It's not about the the, the rest of the industry because they were worried about people getting confused with our usage of fast food versus the popular term of fast food that's used in the industry. And honestly, we were engaged in a pretty interesting debate. I'm not sure if <laughs> I'm not sure if I get that part of my life back, but we eventually landed. We so we we were granted the the, the trademark and. Um, we're really happy with that, but from an SEO standpoint, it really sucks, um, because it's impossible to find, but we think that the, the engagement kind of the double take, the irony, uh, is, um, sufficiently valuable to, um, to offset the fact that SEO, uh, you've got to work really hard from an SEO standpoint.
1: It, it is one of those names that s- sticks with you. You know, when I, when I mentioned it to Laura, I said, yeah, no, he, you know, it's fast food. She's like, what? I said, but immediately like you never forget it. Yeah. You never forget it. And, and that's something that's very empowering. I totally imagine that the SEO is like, even when I was doing a bit of homework for the show, you know, it's like you type in fast food. It's like,
0: okay, I need to go <laughs>
1: down a little bit here and, and yeah. let's, find, let's find it because you get a lot of rubbish at the top. But mate, I, you know, I'm so impressed with you. I'm so impressed with the fact that, you know, you've had you've got your company Chew that's going you decide you want to get into Man because you've thought about it for for so many years you give it a good whack realize that the products out there aren't up to the standard of your standards and that you think it could be better so you start a whole new company you grab the amazing people that you already have on your team to to start this new company specific to fueling for endurance sports I think that's phenomenal I believe are you also going to be sort of Pivoting a little bit with fast food and more into real whole foods for like everyday consumption, or is that something you're also going to look at?
0: Yeah, mate. Yeah. So we're already, you know, I I, I think uh, I think you may have had the the understanding by now of a little. Uh, I like to bite off more than I can chew. Um, so we've uh, being an innovation company, uh, we've already started. You know, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned, but we we also sponsor a pro cycling team called the Human Powered Health Team. Um, we're 100% of their nutrition on the bike with our products. But then we also did this offshoot because when sitting with uh, team ownership, we understood that the rest of their nutrition plan was, um, let's, let's just say it was in need of optimization. Um, so I said to them, great, like let me take this on board. Let us do a high-performance nutrition plan um, so we can surround these cyclists with everything they need in the lead-up to the race, before the race, after the race, the days before, the days after, etc. So we've been testing that now for the last probably seven or eight months. There's also, you know, I think frankly, you know, some of these pain points of these people improvising at home, these like energy balls and these like rice cakes and things like that. There's a, there's a bit of a need for you know some some excellence in uh, product development in that space as well. So we've um, deployed some scientists and chefs to to seeing you know how do we Ultimately, cre- create almost like a, like a fast food grab-and-go, which are the real whole, whole foods outside of the gels and the gummies and the, and the hydration mix that we've currently got today to think about, again, how do we surround um, athletes with the ability and, and your weekend warriors, frankly, um, with the ability to make better choices in every aspect of their life without needing to, again, press pause on their food values to do the thing they love the most. But then end up feeling a certain way because of that thing. Because then you create this, you know, dysfunctional relationship with the thing you love.
1: Brilliant, mate! Congrats. And I did, you are somebody that I find truly inspiring. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I can do more. I can be more. I, so I'm enjoying this conversation. <laughs> you know, I, I, I truly am inspired. And I think about you as a, an entrepreneur and innovator. You know, different in the food and nutrition space. But you know, for for people listening. Based on your experiences, you know, in building Chew and fast food, do you have any kind of advice for anybody that's maybe, you know, in the entrepreneurial space or startup world or anything? Have you got anything that comes to mind that maybe is advice that you've received or advice that you, you'd just be willing to, to share?
0: Maybe a couple of things. You know, one of, one of them is you, you'll often hear, the, um, hear people say, well, you know, uh, I want to start my own business because I want to be my own boss or I want to make my own hours. And I would say, um, don't let that be the motivator um, because, frankly, uh, no one wants to make these hours. <laughs> and being your own boss is uh, is overrated <laughs> because what ends yeah, up happening yeah. is, is being your own boss. You don't have one boss. Um, you're now beholden uh, and responsible for uh, an entire team, everybody. So uh, rather than having one boss, you've got everybody as a boss. The other one would be, you know, I used to... Probably look for the drama in most things, right? The 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 I used to you know being a chef, uh, a little hot headed, I uh, used to feed off the drama, and uh, you know I think one of the things that I'm where I'm starting to, to to land on now would be, you know, this notion of someone someone said something to me a long time ago. It'll it'll all be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. For me, that was uh, that was a, a real kind of sobering uh, uh, point, because. It's about, you know, and, and again, if you look at it in terms of in the market, right? The, the only certainty in a really, really, really hot market is that the market's going to cool off at a certain point. And when the market is really low, that the good times are going to return. And it's about trying to you know make sure that you can navigate those times and uh, stay as level-headed as possible. Because if you don't, then you'll lose yourself, you'll lose your mind, and then ultimately, you'll lose everything. Um, so, really trying to stay level-headed, uh, reconnect with you know, what actually matters, focus on the things that matter, focus on the controllables, and then the uncontrollables, you, you can't control them anyway.
1: Well said, and, and I truly appreciate that and, and great advice. A quick break to remind you to go check out Any Question. You can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett or download Any Question, one word, on iOS or Android. It's completely free. You can go on there and listen to 75,000 plus answers from about 1,000 of the world's greatest experts. They're there to answer your questions from anything from sports and military, first responders and pets and healthcare and everything else in between. So go check it out on Any Question. Also, Adam has also given us a discount for fast food. He's given a 25% discount. So if you go use the code one moment longer and you go to ilovefastfood.com forward slash discount forward slash one moment longer. That's like lovefastfood.com forward slash discount forward slash one moment longer. All right, mate, what would you tell your 18
0: year old self? yeah, I would, that's a good one. You know, I, I, I kind of touched on this imposter syndrome thing before. Um, I would, I would say the lesson that's come from this imposter syndrome thing was when I was, uh, when I was younger, uh, you know, pre 18 and around about that 18 mark, I used to, um, sometimes be paralyzed with the fear of someone catching me. And I think in the, in the later stage of, uh, of, of, my, my development, I learned to convert that to fuel, mm. and, and I would say if I if I could convert that to fuel earlier in my life, I could have avoided, uh, you know, a lot of the stress, a lot of the drama, a lot of the anxiety. Um, convert that thing to fuel. Um, so I, I would say that that I would I would love to have known that when I was younger.
1: Oh, well said. That whole imposter syndrome and all the insecurities you have as teenagers, and you're trying to find yourself. It's uh, it's a difficult period of your life. I love when you said earlier in, in the episode, you know, you were, you were 19, 20 when you went to London and, you know, you had to kind of present yourself beyond maybe what your qualifications were. And I think you must have grown tremendously in that short period of time. It's very cool. I want to jump into the second, the second one I have here. And it's three people you would want to have dinner with, non-family, living or dead.
0: I love the the responses of some of your uh, of, of of all the people you've had on. So this is one I had to I had to think about, and I was anticipating this one. So I would say there's there's going to be a bit of a theme here. But there was um uh, this this guy a very long time ago, a, a chef named Fernand Point, um, and Fernand Point. Uh, I would say was uh, you know really one of the the major catalysts of rethinking uh, what we uh, define these days as like, as you mentioned before, fine dining. Um, he's a chef, a very fabled chef who, uh, depending on who you talk to and who the story is coming from, would drink somewhere between one to seven bottles of champagne per night. Um, really was a philosopher, an anthropologist, and a chef. So I'd say Fernand Point has a seat there. Um, I would have to say David Goggins needs a seat at this table. Um, <laughs> it's the book that I've, oh, actually, I, I listened to the, 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 the audio book. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, David Goggins speaks to my soul. It speaks to the um, the way that I see life, um, uh, the, the vigor in which to attack life, and the fact that it's, you know, you're responsible for everything that happens. Um, and I'd say lastly, uh, you know, another probably potential cliche here, but um, Steve jobs, you know, I'd say that Steve uh, was, um, just an absolute innovator of, of not only product, but of industry and not only of industry, but an innovator of mindset. Um, so you know, there's, there's, there's tons of questions that I'd love uh, to ask Steve.
1: What a great dinner. Now, now I have to ask being that you're a chef, who's going to cook and what are you going to eat? at this dinner?
0: <laughs> I, I will tell you who's not going to cook. It's not going to be me. Because <laughs> the problem is when you, mostly when you get invited to someone's house, you end up cooking. So this time I would, uh, I would take my seat. Yeah. Frankly, for a meal like this, it couldn't be too discovery. It couldn't, couldn't be too engaging on the food because then it takes away somewhere from the engaging of the conversation. So it would have to be provocative food, but not overly complicated and, and intrinsic. So, um, I would not cook, um, uh, <laughs> unless, uh, unless you wanted to, you wanted to come and cook a, an Aussie barbecue somewhere. <laughs> Man, that'd be pretty dull.
1: <laughs> the expectations would be really low at that point, but okay. On that one, I do, I do have a question for you. What's the best meal you have ever had or experienced? Is there one that stands out?
0: Good question, mate. You know, I would, I am going to maybe sound like a bit of a canned cliche here, but, I would say it's all about set and setting, right? We we reference that set and setting in other uh, like uh, uh, microdosing worlds, but I think within the food world, set and setting plays such a key part. Like I can tell you, depends on how you feel, depends on who you're with, it depends yeah. on a whole bunch of things. Yeah. But I can tell you, the fondness of my memories of Australia, for example, uh, uh, living in uh, Brisbane for a period of time, I jump in a car sometimes if I got overly you know overly confused or uh, you know uh, complicated things in my mind. I'd jump in a car and I'd head north and I'd go to like Mooloola Bar, for example. There's a place up there that would do, it was macadamia, nut crusted perch. That's how uh, we're talking like over 20 years ago. Um, and sit on the rocks and sit on the beach, um, eat that with the smell of the sea. And in that particular moment, I can tell you that was the best meal and the best restaurant in the world um, because everything was hitting. You can literally go to the best uh, restaurant in the world and you can have uh, uh, you not have the best meal of your life. Um, so again, it all depends on set and setting and, and, and kind of who you're with and, and how you're feeling.
1: No, it's true, isn't it? It's all the emotions tied together. I, uh, and, and I think that's more than a fair answer. Um, but it is always fun to ask a, a world-renowned chef. What <laughs> there is. And I do, you know, I spent a lot of time, 15 years living in Noosa and, you know, Mooloolaba, Marichidor area. And so I know that area well. And and the idea of just sitting by the beach and having fish and chips, although your fish sounds a little bit better than the typical fish <laughs> and chips, um, it does bring back really great memories.
0: There's also something to be said about, you know, the the, the old-fashioned, they don't do it these days because of uh, toxicity. But, you know, when the the, you know, $2 worth of chips, for example, wrapped in the newspaper, newspaper, ripping <laughs> the end of that newspaper off. And I think, you know, frankly, I think the newspaper gave it a little bit of a, a newspaper taint, which was which was pretty awesome. A little bit of the ink taste. Exactly. <laughs> but there's something to be said about that as well. I can tell yeah. you some of those, like $2 worth of chips were yeah. some of the best meals of my life. Yeah, yeah.
1: Potato scallops. Remember that? <laughs>
0: oh, Dude, it's potato scallops, the with the king. And if you took white bread with butter and you put it in the middle with a bit of tomato sauce, oof, that God, thing, the used crunch, to do that. The, the We used to in. do
1: that in school, didn't we? Oh, my God.
0: Oh, man, that thing. And again, that was probably the best meal in the world at the time, right?
1: <laughs> Ten cents for the potato scallops, throw it in between two pieces exactly. of white bread. Oh, my God. Okay, that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, <laughs> right. Okay, next, next one. Where do you see yourself in, you know, let's look at the next three to five years? You know, with these companies, with the kids, with with your athletic, you know, endeavours.
0: Yeah, mate. Look, I would, I would, I would hope, I would hope that it's kind of a an evolved version of what we're already doing, right? I think I, um, I love the fact that you know I, I, I feel kind of agency over my life. Uh, that you know I'm doing exactly what I feel like. You know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to achieve. Um, so I would say that, um, you know, I'm not one of these like wanderlust guys who say, I want to be doing something altogether different or sitting on a beach doing nothing. I, I, I'm the guy when I go to a beach and I, I, we sit down with my wife. Uh, I say to my wife, right, what are we doing? And she says, we're doing it. And I say, what are we doing? She said, just sitting here doing nothing. Um, so I'm, I'm not that guy. So I'd say that you know, hopefully, maybe it's a it's it's an evolved version of what we're currently doing, but uh, not not dissimilar to what we're what we're currently doing.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, mate. After just chatting with you this past hour, obviously, no no one's life is perfect, and no one's like, but you you at least get get the basic principles of what life is about. And, And you you know, like you said earlier, you're being present with family, you're being present when you're at work, you're being present with your athletic career. That's the best you can hope for and the best you can do. Right, it's almost like if happiness can come in there from time to time, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or you you gotta you gotta make, you gotta make your own happiness everywhere you go, right? Exactly. Rather than waiting for it.
1: Exactly. You want to finish with some rapid fire questions with me, mate? You up for it? Hit me. All right. <laughs> these are these are quick, <laughs> although they rarely are. All right. Here we go. One book you would recommend?
0: I love Dave Sinclair's uh, Lifespan. Great, great one. Okay. Two most used apps on your phone. No doubt. Uh, I mean, uh, Spotify for the amount of training that I'm doing and uh, Audible because I, with this imposter syndrome, it drives me to uh, consume at least four books a month.
1: Perfect. We're going to have to swap our libraries on Audible, mate. I'm the same. I, I oh yeah,
0: dig- absolutely.
1: Just digest, 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 and two, two to two and a half times the speed when I'm working out. I just, I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm at two point two point two five. That's about as high as I get before depends people start depends on the narrator. Saying, oh, job,
1: depends on the narrator. I figured it out. It's it's just who narrates the book. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> and how complex it is. All right. First job you ever had?
0: Uh, first job. I was. Uh, I had this. Uh, I had a company when I was eight years old called Adam's Odd Jobs. Uh, started by washing cars. Uh, then by nine years old, I was employing my school friends because we had too much business and then uh, migrated that into lawn mowing, window washing of houses, uh, landscaping, etc. So uh, my own business called Adam's Odd Jobs.
1: <gasps> Always an entrepreneur. I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Always that, a hustler. A, hustler, just at just a hustler I love it. Oh,
1: <laughs> your parents did great. All right. Out of 10, how cool are you?
0: Oh, mate I don't know it depends on the day of the week you know I would say my my coolness score takes a big hit because I'm typically in bed by like 9 pm. Um, so based off that very uncool factor and the fact that I stopped drinking with triathlon, I'd say you know let's take it somewhere in the middle of like a six or a seven.
1: mate if you're a six and a seven the rest of us plummet. I got to tell you <laughs> the, the, uh, I think I ain't going to bed and not having to have a drink I think is you're you're actually one of the ones leading the way. This is the new frontier, going to bed early, getting up early, ice bathing, training, all of this, mate. This is that your coolness factor has gone up because of that. So, And, uh, <laughs> and there's a coolness factor that. to prioritizing family and your kids. Like you don't understand. This is the modern man. So uh,
0: this, is, this is maybe adult cool, not kid cool. Maybe
1: I should be specific. <laughs> 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 all right. Who, who, who would you want to play a movie of your life?
0: Oh, mate, uh, find find me find me someone uh, uh, deranged enough that obsesses about weird details. Um, oof, maybe I, no idea, mate. I, I think mean- Hugh Jackman. I think Hugh Jackman would be good for you. Hugh Jackman, there we go. Are we talking like Hugh Jackman in like The Wolverine where he gets like super jacked? I would, I'd take
1: that. Nah, Hugh Jackman, The Greatest Showman. <laughs> <laughs> there we
0: go. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take that too. Hey, hey, that's still a, a win. Actor. It's still a win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, which decade of music is best?
0: Mate, I'm a, uh, I'm a keep myself young by listening to uh, uh, new music, so I'm still uh, very much a new music guy, mm-hmm. I, I, but I also love Early two thousands, you know, hip hop. Uh, you know, I reminisce about uh, you know the eighties and the nineties because that was the those were the eras I grew up as a kid. So, uh, mate, I, I listen to everything. Yeah, kid. yeah,
1: perfect. And Last one. What's the greatest movie of all time?
0: Oof, it depends. I will give you two. I will tell you Top Gun, uh, Top Gun, or Gladiator. If I want to pump up. And if I want to somehow, if I'm feeling miserable and want to kind of uh, just be by myself, I I love the pursuit of happiness Mm -hmm. because I think that there's, uh, you know, there's just such a a, a feel good story in there in amongst all that sadness.
1: Yeah. I love it, buddy. Well, Adam, what's next for you, mate? You've got plenty on, Um, you know, upcoming projects, anything you have gone through a lot already, but what's in the next, you know, few months?
0: Yeah, mate. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we sporting wise, uh, you know, and I, this is all new to me. But uh, you know, I've got Ironman Texas uh, next week. Yes, um, yes,
1: best of luck.
0: Uh, yeah. So I've got uh, last year. I did five uh, five full distance Ironmans. I did two halves and three Olympics. Uh, this year, I've cut it all the way back. I'm just doing four four Ironmans. <laughs> um, just, so, just. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. Yeah, that's uh, that. That keeps me. I always say, you know, the the stuff I do in this sport, I, I believe very strongly, makes me a better. I hope makes me a better father and a, 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 a better in the companies. Yeah. Um. Company wise, you know, we're just deep deep in the throes of um, that is super exciting. Off the, you know, it's a certain days heartbreaking uh, process of launching companies. So we're deep in the throes of fast food, and you know, I've got this. Just feels like such a such an extension of my soul and, mm. and something that we, we feel very strongly is making impact. So I'm really excited about that too. And on the you know, true front, uh, just continuing to you know, try to blaze new trails and impact people's lives.
1: Mate, you really are an inspiration. Um, your journey is really one of those that like what this show is about. It's really about sharing journeys of people that just hang in there one moment longer and, and you really have that endurance mentality. So Thanks for coming on the show, mate, and just sharing that all those stories and, and all your knowledge and wisdom, mate. Really appreciate it.
0: Likewise, mate. I'm I'm super grateful for the time, and again, chatting with uh, with someone of the, with your kind of a, a background uh, is, is definitely been a thrill.
1: Oh, mate, enjoyed it, enjoyed it. And for everybody listening, you can find all the show notes and timestamps at BennettEndurance.com forward slash media.
0: Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time. And I hope you will join Greg again very soon.